The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of royal peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. So what happens is we have two tabulators. One of the tabulators is not working, okay? The other tabulator is taking about 75% successful. So 25% of them are being misread, and it could be a printer issue. You have an option to put it into what's called box three, and it gets read, whether it goes downtown and gets read manually, or whether it gets refed in into our tabulator. You don't want to adjudicate. They get read, no. okay? Because I don't trust it going to box and box may never make no. it down No, no way. The choice is, I'll come back. The choice is to, the choice is to wait until... The tabulator tonight. So we will be running them electronically as well as hand counting. So I encourage you to take our opportunity here to vote by putting your ballot in door number three. It will be tabulated tonight. So no, I don't have a technician coming. Our, our only option at this point is to ask you to please put your ballot into door number three. It will be tabulated tonight. And things are going great out there, but there's one thing that we wanted to address to make people aware of today, and that has to do with our tabulators. We've got about 20% of the locations out there where there's an issue with the tabulator where some of the ballots that after people have voted them, they try and run them through the tabulator and they're not going through. But the good thing is, is we do, first of all, we're trying to fix this problem as quickly as possible. And we also have a redundancy in place. If you can't put the ballot in the tabulator, then you can simply place it here in where you see the number three. And this is a secure box where those ballots will be kept for later this evening, where we'll bring them in here to Central Count to tabulate them. Welcome to Uganda. This doesn't exactly inspire confidence in uh, America's election system. They've had two years, though, down in Maricopa County. Pretty big election going on there today with Carrie Lake, Blake Masters. They've had two years to fix a lot of these glitches. Of course, we were told two years ago that the glitches with the machines, that was just very, very unusual. Overall, it was perfect. Perfect election through and through. Well, here it is. Here it is. Another blue county, of course. Of course, that's where the problems always are. We've got a lot to get to on today's show, today's Election Day show here in the United States. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining our growing audience. You can get to the live video stream of this show through our website at thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live and you can get to the live stream page. We also post the uh, podcast after the fact. If you wish to listen on demand or view on demand, has the Fox News election desk, have they called the race in Arizona for Katie Hobbs already? Even before, wouldn't that be something? Even before the polling stations close, they've probably called it for Fetterman as well in Pennsylvania. His team, of course, they're in court trying to count any old ballot that's not signed, no date, nothing. Just, hey, we've got to count the ballots, even the fake ones. 
I think uh, I think Fetterman's action and, and certainly what you're seeing with the Politico story from yesterday, we referred to it. They told us that 2020 was perfect, but they're already saying they're already saying that this one's not going to be perfect. And so I think in many ways they're preparing for the loss. What does it say? A drudge at the moment. Dems scramble to stop the wave. I'm not saying there aren't efforts going on at this moment to cheat. Of course there are. And, and they could be pretty big, pretty big steals if they were to get Fetterman in in Pennsylvania, if uh, they were to get uh, Blake Masters' opponent in, the Democrat in Arizona, because the Senate's going to be where it's uh, more of a razor-thin margin. I don't think they can do anything to stop the red wave that's going to give the Republicans control of the House. But they're preparing, as Richard Palmer brings out in an article at thetrumpet.com, I'm actually not quite sure if he's posted it just yet, but he refers to that Politico story. These people are shameless. The ones that, the very same people who told us that two seconds ago everything was perfect, that there's no way there could be any problem with the machines, with, with anything really. And they've never really answered Dinesh D'Souza's documentary, 2,000 Mules. They have no answer to those charges that they were paying people to harvest ballots. They just see, they've said perfect, perfect, perfect for two years. And now look at what they're saying. Richard writes, as America votes in the midterm election today, the left-wing media is preparing to lose. Many news outlets insist that unlike every election before 2020, we won't know the results right away. So they're out there saying it's going to take a long time, and it probably will for a few races. At the same time, and we're going to see some interesting developments, I'm sure, right at 7 p.m. Eastern tonight with some of those key battleground counties or districts, whether it's in Virginia or New York or Florida. Florida, Florida got their results out pretty quickly, and there's been a lot of stories of late suggesting that even in and around Miami-Dade, a, a blue district, that they're swinging in favor of DeSantis and Rubio and who knows how many smaller house districts in that same region. So we'll begin to get, I think, a pretty good idea of which way that this is going. Again, Drudge's own headline, the Dems are scrambling. And the, uh, I think the other takeaway from some of the glitches and problems that they're having at various places around the United States is the fact that the voter turnout is huge or huge, as Donald Trump would say. Even, even driving along uh, Bryant Road to come over to the studio, our uh, voter station at Oak, Oak Cliff uh, Fire Station, pretty long line going right outside the door. This is just Edmond, Oklahoma, in a, ver a bright red state. I know there's a pretty big race going on here between Governor Stitt and uh, his opponent for the, the gubernatorial seat at the, uh, the state headquarters, the governor. But that said, there's a lot of Republicans fired up. And as you've heard before, Republicans tend to uh, wait until Election Day, whereas the early voting, the mail-in voting, uh, that's dominated more, more by the, uh, the Democrats. 
So we'll see. I mean, we can't just predict how everything is going to play out. I will say this, as much as I've tried for seven years not to quote or play a clip from Karl Rove, he made a pretty good point last night saying that uh, because of the gains made by the Republicans in the House in 2020, remember that? That was another side of the, the, the steel story that no one could explain. Well, how do they gain? How does how does Donald Trump lose uh, to Joe Biden, who got the most votes in the history of U.S. presidential elections? And yet. The Republicans gained 15 seats. In that same election in 2020, I mean, that shows you pretty much where the localized cheating occurred. They've got their five, six districts, their five, six deep, dark blue Democrat machines that just churn out the, uh, the fake votes, Philadelphia, Atlanta, and so on. But yet still, Republicans picked up 15 seats. They pick up 25 or 30 seats today. Uh, some are saying it's going to be a lot more than that. But even if it's, if it's only 25 or 30, that's added to 15. That's a, a pretty comfortable majority in the House. In the House, of course, when they've got the majority there, they control the committees. They control a lot of the investigations. You can see why the Democrats are scrambling. The Democrats and their allies in the media. Again, anything can happen. As we saw two years ago, I had the montage queued up. I guess we can skip it. Who wants to live in that flashback moment from two years ago again? so obvious. Remember the water main break? Then we find out later it was a toilet at the State Farm Arena. Shuts down the whole State Farm Arena in Atlanta. And then all the story, Pennsylvania, Michigan, wherever, the, 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 the people counting the votes, they, they've got to go home. It's, it's a long night. I mean, after all, they, they've, they're on this job uh, one day every two years. They're exhausted. They've got to go home and get some sleep. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's 10 p.m. We can't finish counting the votes. Only in America. Only in America. As I say, you would think this is Uganda we're talking about. You would think it's some third world African dictatorship where the vote is just a sham. And then we, we send, think of it, we send all of these vote monitors around the world to make sure there's election integrity. And our American officials, I mean, they come in with some kind of sanctimonious air. Here we are, we're the American officials. We want to make sure everything is above board. And as soon as you ask them, well, what about right here at home? Hey, hey, are you an election denier? And then you add to the storyline. Here comes Politico. Here come all the talking. It's going to take days and days to count. What was it, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said? Here's, here's her tweet from this morning. She's an election uh, official now, I guess. She says, many states don't allow mail-in ballots to be counted before Election Day, but many races can't be called until mail-ins are counted, which can take over 24 hours. This is normal. This is what we've seen just in the past 24 months. Never happened before. It's normal, says AOC. She's a communist. Of course she wants to stress. We'll just wait tonight and find out. There's quite a few states. There's the few states, as we know, from 2020 that took five days to figure it out. There were a lot of other states, including in blue states, that, that, that pri they, they pride themselves in getting the results out quickly, the, the election night. But now, it'll be interesting, won't it? Now that some of these races, even in blue states, are tight, if they're razor thin, 
You can be sure. It's, all of a sudden, it's going to be very difficult to count votes. We're keeping our eye on the Senate race in Washington State, where I grew up as a boy. Washington State? That's actually in play? Well, there's a Democrat uh, senator there. Uh, Murray is her last name. I thought I forget her first name. Patty Murray. She's been there, I think, five terms. You, you would think the people of Washington would want to vote in someone other than her just to get some new blood in there. But, but people are upset. People on the Republican side are fired up. What are Democrats fired up about? Abortion rights? Saving democracy? They're fired up. They're fi a lot of them are fired up about the same things Republicans are. Inflation. Yes, a lot of people, Joy Reid, they do understand the word inflation. They know what it means when lettuce is suddenly twice as much as it was just uh, 12 months ago. And so there's a lot of interest, a lot of enthusiasm. And if, if Drudge is right, look, he's no friend of Trump. We know this now. The Dems are scrambling. Richard in this article says, Politico, meanwhile, is laying the groundwork for another narrative. If you believe the 2020 election was stolen, you're a dangerous extremist. But this time, the steal might be real. If you believe 2020 was stolen, then you're an extremist. Let's go. Look, it's three minutes long. Bear with me. If this, if this makes you keel over in agony, I apologize in advance. But here's the montage from two years ago, clip 11. Before you go to North Carolina, from, from Georgia, apparently at the State Farm Arena, uh, they were delayed four hours because of a water pipe burst in that room. Check this a moment ago. Really, I, the numbers haven't moved. Martha, what did you say? There was a water main break there? And there's just no reason for us right now to take a chance on calling Florida, where there is still a considerable amount of vote out. And we're not quite sure, given the high, high, high numbers of early votes. So we're just not quite there yet. While it sure looks like Biden is going to lose Florida. The fact that the Fox News decision team hasn't called Florida yet says to me, it, you know, maybe it's a small margin, but they're still up for grabs. But what is this happening here? Why is Arizona blue? Did we just call it? Did we make a call in Arizona? Oh, well, let's see. <laughs> now, there's a check mark. Did our decision desk make it? Okay, time out. This is a big development. Yeah. The Fox News decision desk is calling Arizona for Joe Biden. That is a big get for the Biden campaign. That's a real possibility. Especially since they stopped counting at, at 1030 at night. I'm not sure why. I mean, just because I guess everyone has to go home and they have to come back in the morning. Yes, they're normal people, Martha. They're <laughs> opposed to us. On Arizona? Yeah. You're 100% sure? Yes. And so all this pushback, you're going to say... We made the right call when we made it. We made the correct call, and that's why we made the correct call when we made it. I'm sorry. Uh, to get too froggy right now with Ohio, we're going to be careful, cautious, and earnest. So wait a second. Now you're saying Georgia is probably not tonight. Michigan is probably not tonight. Wisconsin's not tonight? I think there's a good chance that that's where we're sitting. And Pennsylvania's not Carolina. tonight. The city of Milwaukee says that they will have all of their votes counted by 3 a.m. Getting word from DeKalb County elections, due to technological or technology limitations, the precincts accidentally reported zero of 191 until all precincts were uploaded and tabulated. 
We're working diligently to compile all votes and will continue the effort of processing absentee ballots at 11 a.m. Wednesday, November 4th. He is up 600,000 votes in Pennsylvania. So that he can make up 600,000? Uh, it is theoretically possible, yes. Before uh, that we were going to hear from the Milwaukee that they were going to do a huge dump of vote from Milwaukee mm -hmm. at 3 a.m., Eastern time. Uh, they've now pushed it back to 5 a.m. But why does it take so long, Arnon? I mean, you've got 70% of the vote in, in in some of these cases, and they've been counting, you know, all of these ballots all day long. You know, why, why I mean, they does knew it take there was so a, long? an election today, right? I mean, they knew <laughs> it was coming. Here's the catch now. Uh, in Georgia, you got 6% of the vote out, all right? I mean, it's, it's surmountable. You know, you got 5 million votes cast here. Why can't you call it? Despite reports that Philadelphia had stopped counting its ballots, officials say more than 2 million ballots are still being counted, mostly in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. We mentioned before we started the show, at 5 a.m., we're going to get a big uh, uh, ballot dump at 5 a.m. Did we get it? Because we it got looks some. like that for the first time, a percent, uh, okay, a percentage, uh, percentage points ahead, 49.4 to 49.1. He takes his first lead, does Joe Biden. Pennsylvania, I'm pretty sure, is going to take... A few days or longer. America had never experienced anything like that ever. And, uh, and yet, if you call it into question, you, like Richard says in his piece, you're a dangerous extremist. Now, now look at Politico's take on today's midterm. It says the midterms face a bevy of digital threats from stolen Twitter accounts to hacked election websites that could spark chaos, confusion, and unrest that last long after the polls close. That's exactly what happened in 2020. Chaos, confusion, unrest that went on for days after the polls closed. But now you see the red wave is coming. And now Politico and all of their allies and the in the in the legacy media, they're all scrambling, as Drudge says at his headline. They're all scrambling. They're all making excuses. They're, they all want to stretch it out. They all want to cheat. They all want to do something. Or if they lose, they want to have an excuse in place. It's not, it's not a referendum against the Democrats. Oh, no. If ever they lose a majority, that's not Americans speaking up saying, we don't like your policies. That's the end of democracy. Politico says this. At least seven states in D.C. Well, I don't, I don't need to read through it. We touched on it yesterday. Richard's concluding point, he says, Watch the fallout from today's election. Already the vote is exposing the radical left's determination to hold power regardless of what the law says or what voters want. Don't let all of the smoke screens from today get in the way of this being a straight-up vote about what voters want, what voters want. And even with respect to the cheating, you have to think there's a lot more eyeballs on these places like Maricopa County or Philadelphia or Atlanta. Not that that will stop all the cheating, but there's certainly more Republican attorneys on hand this time around. And Fetterman's people, as I said, already concerned that they're not going to be able to beat back the red wave. They're going to court to try to get these, these ballots that aren't official counted. They want no rules, no signatures, no dates, nothing. Just if it's a ballot that comes in that says blue, count it. All of those stories from 2,000 Mules, the video footage of, 
of these uh, workers at, at senior care centers, trying to convince a woman that's, that's 90 years old, practically in a coma, not trying to convince, coaxing her into signing something that she can't even understand. You have to think that those kinds of things are going to be a lot harder to pull off, at least on a massive scale. And just the, the sheer fact that 100 million ballots haven't just been mailed all over the country this time around, that would surely help the, the Republicans' cause as well. This is from uh, the end of Richard's article. Learn more. Chapter 7 of our free book, America Under Attack. That would be this one here. Chapter 7 of our free book exposes the 2020 election steal. More importantly, it puts modern American politics in the context of Bible prophecy. This is what we want to keep our eyes on today. <laughs> even coming in, you, you wonder, well, what, what can we even say today until it's final, or at least a good bit of it is final tonight, and then we can have some commentary on it tomorrow. Everyone waits. Everyone's nervous. Everyone's wondering how this is going to play out. But as I said yesterday, Romans 13 and verse 1, God has a hand in these activities. God has a hand. You know about the prophecy in uh, Amos 7 as well. Jeroboam, his return to power. This is from Neil Ferguson. He's a scholarly academic, academic from the UK. The title of his piece, Why I Now Believe Donald Trump Will Regain the White House. Uh, compare that to a title of our own at uh, The Trumpet, Why I Still Believe Donald Trump is Coming Back. So more and more people are seeing this. Donald Trump, of course, making his final campaign appearance last night uh, in Ohio in support of J.D. Vance, who has a good chance of winning the, the Senate contest out there. Listen to uh, Donald Trump from last night, clip one. This is the year we're going to take back the House. We're going to take back the Senate. And we're going to take back America. And in 2024, most importantly, we are going to take back our magnificent White House. We'll take it back. We're going to take it back. And then news came out from that or after that event that he has a big announcement to make a week from today. So whether some of these races stretch out for a few days as the Democrats would prefer, but think about this next week, just how momentous it could be if in fact there is a red wave in Congress, and then you add to that Donald Trump announcing that he's running for president next Tuesday, you're going to see that if, if they're not already into full-scale meltdown mode, Think of what's coming here in the next seven days. Here again is Donald Trump from last night. Listen to what he says again, just going back to what we've said in America Under Attack and what Herbert Armstrong said in the communist infiltration of the United States of America, going back to the 1940s and 50s. Here's Donald Trump from last evening, clip two. I think we skipped over socialism. I say it now. You say, we're going to be socialists. We are not. We've skipped over that. That's gone. Socialism is gone for about uh, a year already, I think. We're into the world of communism right now. We're into the world of communism. And I've been playing clips in recent months of how many commentators are now saying this. They're now pointing out what Mr. Armstrong said from that 
that uh, unforgettable quote from 1956. Here is the communist goal. Take over this, 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 and then finally overthrow the government. Listen to Mark Levin from his show on uh, Sunday night. This is clip five. Joe Biden gives speeches in which he trashes the American people, just like Hillary Clinton does, just like Barack Obama does. Deplorables, white supremacists, insurrectionists, threats to democracy, racists, semi-fascists. This is new in American history. We're not used to hearing so-called leaders talk about the American people this way or half the American people this way. It really started with Obama and Joe Biden. He's not smart enough to think for himself. When he first came to the Senate, he picked up the language of the racists and segregationists, Eastland, among others, from Mississippi. He's picked it up from Obama and Hillary Clinton. Here again, tomorrow's news today, thetrumpet.com. It all started with Obama. That's in America under attack. I didn't give you the 800 number, by the way. 1-866-930-3024. If you don't have a copy of America under attack, that will help you understand these events under the clear light of Bible prophecy. Started with Obama, and Biden comes along, and he just picks it up from Obama. One more clip from Mark Levin, clip six. The modern Democrat Party despises we the people. They don't want to represent us. They want to rule over us. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. Look at the candidates that they have nominated this year to the United States Senate. It is the most radical, hate America, anti-prosperity group of candidates in American history. So the Democrats have put up for candidates for the Senate, for the House, and for governor the most radical people that they could find. Why? Why? Because they want to fundamentally transform America. Don't you remember what Barack Obama said? And they're doing it. They're doing it. They're getting away with it. Well, at least they're, they've gotten away with it to this point. They've not been held accountable for their destructive ac actions. But they are being exposed. And they're scrambling. So says Drudge. They're melting down. They're changing narratives. They're, they're looking you in the eye. And, and telling these brazenly audacious lies, one lie after another. There's no inflation. There's no crime. There's no problem at the southern border. The, the assailant who broke into Paul Pelosi's home, he, they didn't know him. The Pelosi's didn't. And he was a Trump supporter. Nancy Pelosi was asked just yesterday. She came out with her first comments about the hammer attack and said, after being asked... Again, another, another powder puff question from a hard leftist. Is, is it connected to January 6th? Of course. It's the same exact narrative, says Nancy Pelosi. They lie, these people. They're desperate. They're desperate to hold on to power. Listen to this panel at CNN, just absolutely terrified at the thought of Americans voting in election deniers. This is clip four. So when we look at who's on the ballots here across the country, there are a large number of election deniers, right? So CNN found at least 22 candidates for governor, 19 for Senate, 12 for Secretary of State, 10 candidates for Attorney General who have either denied the results or cast doubt 
about the results of the 2020 presidential election. So what are the implications of that, Ron? This is going to be the most significant long-term implication of this election. I mean, we're, we're talking about it in normal partisan terms on how many seats Democrats lose in the House, whether Republicans take control of the Congress. I think what historians will remember of this election is that it provided a beachhead inside the electoral system to a large number of candidates who are untethered to the traditions of American democracy as we have known it. And it is going to take us into an unpredictable new era. No one can say exactly what it's going to mean in Arizona or Wisconsin uh, if full-scale election deniers are in control of the election machinery in the roughly half-dozen states that get to decide everything. <laughs> if there's a red wave today, you're about to meet uh, a number of full-scale election deniers in the Democrat Party. They're already talking about it. They're already saying it's going to be it's going to be a fraudulent election. They're already saying it's being tampered with. They're scrambling. This is an article from Victor Davis Hanson just talking about Barack Obama, as we've said in recent weeks. I mean, clearly you see the Antiochus movement, you see the Jeroboam movement. But VDH says that, you know, Obama does seem to be losing some of his star power. And, and that's interesting. Again, when you consider the prophecy in Amos 7, you have Jeroboam there. Jeroboam's mentioned Amaziah, the prophet Amos, obviously. And yet there's no mention of Antiochus, which would suggest that he eventually, as prominent as, as he's been in the Democrat Party in, since 2008, prophecy does indicate that he's going to fade from view eventually. How that happens, that's in God's care. We'll find out soon enough, I suppose. But it just does make Victor Davis Hanson's piece pretty interesting. It says, still, on the campaign trail, Obama appears not so much animated as, as stale. Sam was the one that was able to compare one of his stump speeches to the next. He said that it was practically identical. He just changed the names. Okay, I'm in Arizona, so I'm here to support this candidate. Now I'm in Pennsylvania. But the lines were the same. The jokes were the same. I'm sure Donald Trump sticks to a, a loose, you know Donald Trump, you know the way he, he gets off the script quite a lot. In, in fact, when he was campaigning down in Miami the other night, for five minutes there was a downpour, and he just stayed on and kept speaking. And he said the next night or a couple nights later that the last 20 minutes of his speech, the teleprompter was useless. It didn't work. And yet he just kept going. And then he joked, you know, how do you think Joe Biden would do with that? There is a difference. And energy, that's what we're seeing today. The energy level is high. On the Republican side, Victor Davis Hanson says, uh, it, is as, it is as if he has, speaking of Obama, he has been suddenly stirred from a long coma that commenced in 2008. It's the same old, same old, sleeves rolled up, he still resorts to the scripted outbursts of mock anger, and the nerdy prep school graduate still amateurishly modulates his patios, now policy wonk, now breaking into the Southern African-American pastor accent when an audience needs more preachy authenticity. He's In other words, he's fake. He's a fake. He's a phony. He's a fraud. Says he still tries to rev up his crowds with the familiar attacks. Republican demons will cut Social Security. The, the MAGA semi fascists are captives of Donald Trump, as if the Democrats have not ceded their souls to woke hysterics. 
Victor Davis Hanson says the Republican fanatics will all but kill women by denying abortions, and extremists unlike himself are, divide, are dividing the country. You see, he's, he's the extremist, and yet that star shine, it's beginning to fade. It's not carrying the influence that it once did. You can see it in the Temple University arena that he only half-filled the other night. What do you think the legacy media talking heads would say if Donald Trump showed up to a 10,000-seat arena and he only filled half of it? They'd still be talking. If it happened seven days ago, they'd still be talking about it today. It's so significant. I mean, just a few hundred open seats is significant in their minds. But for Democrats to put, put a big curtain in to divide this arena because they knew they couldn't get anywhere near maximum capacity, that's Barack Obama with John Fetterman. VDH says on and on, Obama shouts about social justice. And then he wraps up and must decide to which of his mansions he'll fly home via private jet. Uh, Calorama. Uh, would it be Martha's Vineyard, uh, Hyde Park, or soon the Wamanalo Estate? Four estates. <laughs> I can't even pronounce it. I don't know where these are. I suppose one's in Hawaii. Martha's Vineyard, of course, in Massachusetts. Hyde Park in Chicago. The last one I'm unfamiliar with. Look, he's still the Antiochus. He's still pulling the strings. He's still in the, po the power position of the Democrat Party. But what Victor Davis Hanson is saying, and really what America Under, Act, uh, America Under Attack is saying, is that soon that, that party is going to be crushed, exposed and crushed. Perhaps today is the beginning of it. That doesn't mean, though, that they're going to go away silently. The Federalist says Democrats are not going to relinquish power peacefully. Who knows what they're capable of doing, even if they're crushed politically, uh, crushed at the ballot box today. The Federalist says the danger comes when Democrats refuse to accept that they have no mandate from the people to remain in power. For all their talk of threats to democracy from Republican election deniers, one of the most asinine political epithets of our era, by the way, it's Democrats who pose the real threat for the simple reason that they are not really trying to forge a majority coalition. They just want power. They're not there trying to make an appeal to the people, trying to sell their policies to the people, trying to get the support of the people. They're there to tell the people what to do, to tell the people what to believe, and the people are onto it. So how will these power-hungry, mad politicians, how will they re respond to a defeat at the ballot box? Well, they've already indicated how they're going to respond. It was stolen, uh, a democracy died, we've got to take some extreme ac action, whatever. It says here, no, of course, let me just back up. Um, with the exception of Elon Musk's Twitter, big tech is going to simply relinquish that power, hand it over to the very people it has been de decrying as the destroyers of democracy, allow someone like Donald Trump ever to get near the White House again. You can look for indictments to come down. If he's announcing next Tuesday, what happens between now and next Tuesday? They still have the majority until the new Congress is sworn in in January. 
It says, no, of course not. What Democrats did in the, the six months leading up to the 2020 election, not just the rioting and looting, but the rigging or fortifying of the election through lawsuits and coordinated online censorship should be understood as a dry run. The Democrats will use every executive branch agency, every tool of law enforcement, every dubious exercise of power at their disposal to remain in power or at least to deprive power from Republicans. It says, even before Trump won the 2016 election, we know the FBI began crafting an insurance policy, the Russia collusion hoax, just in case he won. He did win. And so we were treated to this hoax for years. So what will they do this time around? Well, don't expect for them to go away quietly. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to uh, call and request, he was right, or America under attack. The 800 number, if you live in the U.S., Canada, or the Caribbean, it's 1-866-930-3024. The, uh, the email address, that's td at thetrumpet.com. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. Trumpet Daily. Yesterday we were talking in our Bible study segment about just how skilled in the law uh, Ezra was. Ezra of the Old Testament, the author of Ezra, Nehemiah. He became skilled in the law. I'll just review a, a few verses that we touched on at the uh, closing segment yesterday. Verse 6 of Ezra 7. It says this, this Ezra went up from Babylon and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. He was a ready scribe. In verse 10 it says, Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the eternal and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. He wanted to learn it well enough 
to be able to teach it in Israel, to give it to others, knowledge if it's just for, uh, for selfish purposes, it just makes, makes you vain, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8. This is a quote from the Ezra booklet. It says, we should all set personal goals to be more like Ezra. We all must continually set our minds to grasp law, God's law and government. He says that does require much study and a lot of hard work. We must know the law so well that we can teach statutes and judgments. Know it well enough to teach it. Look down at verse 20. Well, if you look at verses 20 and 21, it just shows how much favor that God gave to Ezra. Uh, Artaxerxes just basically said, look, we'll open, we'll open the gates to the, uh, the kingdom here, to the treasury, and help yourself. If it furthers your work, we'll support it. Here he received this tremendous favor, this tremendous support from a Gentile king. And God, of course, was orchestrating all of this. He received that support, and then Ezra and his team, I mean, they really, <laughs> they really blasted out of the starting gate and started to work fast and furiously. This is uh, page 38 of the booklet, Ezra and Nehemiah. It says, These verses give us a vital lesson. As soon as the people of God recognize who they are, as soon as God's people recognize that God is behind them, they become highly motivated to do the work. So obviously we need that diligent study. We need that constant communication with God, that prayer contact, that, that uh, study of the Word of God, all Scripture given by inspiration of God. And then, of course, there's always something to do with that, that, that knowledge, that content. Do the work. It says, even Artaxerxes wanted to support Ezra as quickly as he could because of the time in which we live, the PCG ministry and members are going to have to work more speedily. And so we can't let a moment go to waste. Look at how fast these days have gone by. I know that for some, anticipating the, the midterm elections, they've probably felt like these past two dreadful years have gone by at a snail-like pace. But in, in many other ways, we're here. We're already, the, we're still talking about the election steal of 2020. Now we're already at the midterms. November 8, 2022. Time is marching on. Make the most of it. Just drop back to Ezra 3, chapter 3 of the same book. Verse 1, it says, And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man, to Jerusalem. I mean, unity, that's another important takeaway from this history. To gather together as one, to gather together so that we can work together. Verse 2 says, Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded an altar of God, the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings thereon, as, is, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So you need this altar for the, the temple worship. This is what unifies the brethren of God, unifies the, the family of God. It says here, And they set the altar upon his basis, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings. So this is, uh, this is really a type of the 
the ministry in God's family, God's church, the foundation of the church together with Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Verse 4 says, They keep also the Feast of Tabernacles as it is written and offer the daily burnt offerings by number uh, according to the custom as the duty of every day required. There are daily duties when we're serving God. We, we don't want to take any time off, spiritually speaking. I mean, there's always uh, some time for rest and rejuvenation physically. We all need that from time to time. But in the spiritual sense, that fire, those daily offerings, those, those daily sacrifices, you can read about that in the New Testament sense in, in Romans 12 and verse 1. But that fire has to keep going. It has to keep burning. Verse 7, they gave money also unto the masons and unto the carpenters and meat and drink, and oil, and unto them of Zidon, and to them of Tyre, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea of Joppa, according to the, the grant that they had of Cyrus, king of Persia, all working together, all working in one unified motion, one unified body. It says here, as ministers, this is in the Ezra booklet, we must continually, we must be continually learning how to become more skilled at our calling, the, the instrument makes a difference. I was pointing this out in uh, epistles just the other day. Paul, when he was just pleading with the brethren at Corinth and, and telling them, look, I've tried to be all things to all people. I want to reach everyone. And we bring young people into this college and, and train them in the liberal arts so that they can re, re, well, leave in a couple years, four years, graduate with a well-balanced education and be like Herbert Armstrong was, where he was able to travel the world and meet with kings and prime ministers and all of these diplomats. And at, at the same time, he could sit down with just the ordinary people of any nation. That's what we need to think on as we project ahead into the wonderful world of tomorrow and beyond. We really are here to teach the whole world Think about Ephesians 3 and verse 9. Other passages that just talk about how, how much jurisdiction or responsibility God wants to give to us. Verse 10 in Ezra 3, it says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their, their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David king of Israel. They were following after the example set before them by King David, singing together, praising God, giving thanks. You can see that in, uh, in verse 11. Let's switch over to Nehemiah 4. Here again, just to emphasize this, this uh, point about being unified together as one and also working uh, fast in these daily responsibilities that God's given us to do. Verse 4 of Nehemiah 4 says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of, of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we, we uh, so built we the wall and uh, all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof and the, and the people, it says, had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. You don't see a lot of that in our world today. There's a lot of people. COVID has certainly added to the misery, the joblessness, the hopelessness. 
God says, have a mind to work. Really put your heart into the work of God. Be wholehearted. Be a, be a good workman. We've talked about that point, 2 Timothy 2.15. We've talked about that just with respect to our Bible study. The same is true in, in uh, supporting God's work. Well, you see these, you can read verses 7 and 8, you see these obstacles that came forward trying to slow down the progress of the work. There's always going to be resistance. Satan, like I was saying in Principles of Living this morning, there's always going to be, you know, a satanic counterfeit. He, Satan raises up Simon Magus in Acts 8, and he, uh, he likes what he sees, at least the power, the authority that the apostles had. He tries to purchase it. Peter discerned it and said, you're going to be a, like poison. You're going to be a real thorn in the side of the, the church. Well, he raised up a movement, a counterfeit movement, described in 2 Corinthians 11, complete with false apostles, a false gospel, a false Jesus, a false ministers that come as angels of light, just like the devil himself does. What a counterfeit. Take the, Jude 4 says they take the grace of God. They like grace. They like that message. But they turn it into a license to, to live in a lawless manner. To, to be rebellious, to resist against, to be hostile to God's law. Satan's ministers, they like to talk about Christian themes, but how does it align with what's actually in the Bible, the teachings of Jesus Christ? So the obstacles are there. Verse 9 says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So they were prepared for the, the persecution. For these obstacles, verse 10 says, And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so, uh, so that we are not able to build the, the wall. So some of the builders were weakening a bit because it was such difficult, hard labor. This is in the Ezra booklet. It says, At times, the work of God can be very difficult. Sometimes we could, we could feel like we're, we're tottering under the weight of, of the job that God's given us to do. We must avoid grumbling and complaining. See, we've really got to maintain that mind, that mind to work. Drop down to verse 14, it says, And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and, and, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. Get your mind off of yourself and onto what we're fighting for here. We're fighting for the family of God. Verse 15, And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. Verse 16 says, And it came to pass that from that time forth that uh, the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the harbingers, and the rulers were, were behind all the house of Judah. They were all working together as a, as a team. It was a team effort, unified as one. Notice this visual, inspiring. Verse 17, it says, They which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, everyone with one of his hands wrought in the work, and the other hand held a weapon. So you've got the building instrument in the one hand, and you've got a weapon in the other hand to defend against the enemies, but to continue on doing the work. 
That's the way God wants, wants for us to operate. Verse 18 says, For the builders, every one, had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. So what an awesome example, as I say, of someone that really and truly does have a mind to work, and to work fast. It says in verse 19, And I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we're separated upon the wall, one far from another. Verse 20, In what place, therefore, you hear the sound of the trumpet, resort you there unto us? Our God shall fight for us. Just be ready. Be on guard. Be ready to receive that signal. Be ready to respond to the trumpet. So we labored in the work. And half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Verse 22 says, Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, Let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be a guard, they may be a guard to us and labor on uh, during the day. It says, So neither I nor my brethren, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard which followed me, None of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put them off for washing. They just, God performed some pretty amazing miracles to just help them expedite uh, this work that they were doing. If we have a mind to work and we work together as one, God will really back that movement. God is at the heart of it, after all. It's God's work. It's God's church. The Living Bible says, During this period, none of us, I nor my brothers, nor the servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes except for washing, and we carried our weapons with us all the time. I mean, their minds were just on the work of God constantly. Constantly. Mr. Armstrong, Herbert Armstrong, he used to say that to the extent that you have your heart in God's work, well, then you're going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If your heart is really into the work of God, you will grow in character because this is what God's heart is into. This is what's uppermost in God's mind. The restoration of his family government over all the earth that's where this work is leading. That's what it's all pointing to. And if we get on board with it, or as I say often here in the, the college classes, if we just submit to God's program, we're going to be excited by the growth that God brings forth through us. You're listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining us for today's show. And as I'm sure you know, there's going to be a lot to get into on tomorrow's show. So we hope you'll join us again tomorrow.